Hello, I'm Beth Fatenny, the director of the New York-based nonprofit Green Inside and Out and host of the Green Inside and Out podcast, where we cover environmental topics to keep you informed, inspired, and empowered to take action. This podcast is made possible by our awesome eco-friendly sponsors. This is Jay Best, the president at Green Team LI. The data is clear. We need to reduce the impact of climate change. You can make a difference by getting a free home energy assessment. Did you know that your utility will pay us to test your home's energy efficiency? Imagine your home being more comfortable, healthier, and much more energy efficient. It's great for you and for the planet. And thanks to New York State's push for energy efficiency, you can take advantage of great rebates and incentives. Go to GreenTeamLI.com to set up your free home energy assessment now. It's GreenTeamLI.com. Now I would like to introduce our guest, Brian McFarland of the Carbon Fund. Brian McFarland is currently the Senior Vice President of CarbonFund.org Foundation's Project Portfolio and the Senior Vice President of Project Origination at Carbon Co., the wholly owned subsidiary of CarbonFund.org. Brian is a certified project management professional by the Project Management Institute, former certified greenhouse gas inventory quantifier, and a certified sustainability professional from the International Society of Sustainability Professionals. Brian earned an undergraduate degree from Clark University and a dual graduate degree in business administration and global environmental policy from American University. Brian has published or co-published more than 20 articles along with a co-authored book chapter in Sustainable Investing, Revolutions in Theory and Practice. Brian has also authored two books entitled, one is entitled Red Plus and Business Sustainability, a guide to reversing deforestation for forward-thinking companies. I love it. (laughs) And the second book is called Conservation of Tropical Rainforests, a review of financial and strategic solutions. Brian actually has a forthcoming book we're excited to announce. Um, it's due out later this year, entitled Conservation of Tropical Coral Reefs, a Review of Financial and Strategic Solutions. So thank you so much, Brian, for being on the show. Thank you very much, Beth. I appreciate the introduction, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share some of my experiences with your listeners. And given the times, I wish you and all your listeners good health during these difficult times. Thank you. Same to you. Yes, Absolutely. So you have such an interesting background. So tell us a little more about yourself. I, I love all these these things that you've done. And how did you get into the environmental field? Sure. Uh, again, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I could draw, I would say, a direct parallel back to my childhood. I grew up in rural New Hampshire and spent a lot of my days as a kid catching snakes and frogs and turtles, hiking in the backwoods with my dog and fishing with my brother. And as I went to school, I sort of formalized these environmental studies. And as a junior in high school, it was a very pivotal moment in my life when I left the United States for the first time and visited a tropical forest in Mexico, started to see some deforestation and degradation as a result of expanding agricultural frontier, cattle ranching. I snorkeled over my first coral reef. And after that trip, I was absolutely hooked on environmental studies and international travel. And then over the years, I would eventually travel to Costa Rica, Kenya, and Brazil for some authentic field research. And then I moved to Washington, D.C. back in 2007 for my graduate studies in business administration 
and global environmental policy. And it was at this time that I started as an intern at CarbonFund.org Foundation. And as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Very similar to me. I knew I was going to be an environmentalist since I was a kid. <laughs> started back then, very early. <laughs> Great. So, um, wow. And so now you work at CarbonFund.org. So tell our listeners what CarbonFund.org does. Sure. CarbonFund.org is a 501c3 not-for-profit climate change organization that is based in New York State, and we do several things. We do a whole lot of education and outreach to individuals and businesses, generally about climate change and more specifically about the sources of greenhouse gas emissions. We assist businesses with their sustainability plans, with ways to identify how they can reduce their emissions. And we also help these businesses calculate their carbon footprint. Ideally, these individuals and businesses will then choose to offset their residual emissions by donating to CarbonFund.org. And we, in exchange, provide financial support to carbon reduction and tree planting projects, along with funding to renewable energy projects via the purchase of renewable energy certificates, or the acronym is RECS. And historically, we have partnered with, I'd say, about 750,000 to about 800,000 individuals, and we've partnered with more than 2,000 business partners. And because of all their generous support, we've been able to finance, I would say, more than 190 projects throughout the United States and in about 20 or 25 different countries. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, because um, the way I've heard about Carbon Fund was through Amtrak. And when I purchase plane tickets, it comes up as an option to buy the renewable energy credits, which I love. It's really great. You can offset your, your carbon footprint, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. <laughs> so so what is that exactly is your role at Carbon Fund? I've been at CarbonFund.org for just about 13 years now. I started as a classic intern, uh, responding to info emails, doing faxes, filing, building office furniture, and then I slowly got involved with our accounting, and then I moved on to managing our projects, and now I'm the senior vice president of CarbonFund.org's project portfolio, and I'm also the senior vice president of CarbonFund.org's project origination at our wholly owned subsidiary, Carbon Co., at CarbonFund.org, I essentially manage our project portfolio. So I will identify projects on behalf of our donors, conduct due diligence on these projects, then structure the financial support and the transfer of offsets from the projects to CarbonFund.org's registry accounts. And then I'll assist our team with any of their marketing needs, like gathering pictures and stories from the project, or in some cases, facilitating a site visit. At Carbon Co., which is really where I spend, I'd say, the majority of my work in life, I lead our consulting engagements, and I also manage the origination and ongoing implementation of four rainforest conservation projects in the Brazilian Amazon. And in this capacity, I do a little bit of everything from meeting local community members, working with private landowners on various projects and programs to benefit local communities and to reduce the pressure on the tropical forests. I meet with a whole host of other stakeholders. I write up project documents. I manage contractors. I design and advise on the implementation of biodiversity and community impact monitoring plans. 
and then ultimately help shepherd these projects through an annual or semi-annual audit. Wow. And somehow you have time to write a book. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a night owl. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Yep. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, in case our listeners aren't familiar, I also wanted to explain a little bit about these renewable energy credits and um, carbon offsets you've mentioned. Can you can you explain a little more what is exactly a carbon offset? Sure. Yeah, I probably should have explained that earlier. So a renewable energy credit or certificate is one megawatt hour of clean renewable electricity and its bundled environmental attributes. A carbon offset is simply a certified reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, which is standardized as one metric ton of carbon dioxide equivalent emissions from a project. And there are projects all around the world that produce these carbon offset credits. So, for instance, there are wind projects in Oklahoma and Texas. There are landfill gas energy projects in New York State. There's solar projects in India. There's rainforest conservation projects from Indonesia to Brazil. And then there's a slight distinction between compliance offsets as well as a voluntary carbon offset credit. So there are compliance carbon offset credits, which can be used for a compliance market where companies are legally required to reduce their emissions. And one of sort of several options they have are to purchase these compliance grade carbon offset credits. And then where carbonfund.org and Carbon Co. primarily operate is the voluntary market where we purchase on behalf of our donors these voluntary carbon offsets, which can be used by anyone who seeks to neutralize the greenhouse gas emissions associated with their carbon footprint. Yeah, I think that, so obviously that's the context that I've seen it in. That's really, it's really great. I love it. And, you know, it's, it's funny too, because I would say um, probably some people may look at it and be skeptical So I'm really like, you know, is this really legitimate? Are we really saving carbon? But obviously, from what you're telling us, it really is. (laughs) It's a lot of work to to match those, um, you know, those credits and offsets with actual, you know, savings in carbon. And and you're the one who measures it. It's incredible. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And um, so it kind of relates to on the individual level. I'm sure some of our listeners have heard about a carbon footprint. But maybe we should describe a little bit about, you know, more what, about what that actually is. What is a carbon footprint? Yeah. A, um, a carbon footprint essentially is the quantity of greenhouse gas emissions that a given individual or household or business or country is responsible for. And there are various guides and protocols publicly available that help outline the different scopes and boundaries that are used to calculate carbon footprints. And once you have your carbon footprint, you can seek ways to reduce your carbon footprint and or purchase certified carbon offset credits. And just to um, uh, address an earlier point you had mentioned in terms of you know whether these uh, projects are in fact real, um, I like to say our signature projects in Brazil, like many projects, go through several different types of audits, checks, or reviews. So our projects in Brazil, for example, go through two initial audits known as a validation audit. And then those documents that have been written up for the project and that the auditors have prepared 
are then reviewed by the registry provider and then reviewed by the certification standard. So now you're at four different sort of audits, checks, or reviews. Each year, our company undertakes a uh, financial audit and a project portfolio audit by an independent certified public account. So now there's another two sort of checks, audits, or reviews. Now you're up to six. And then before these projects can issue certified carbon offset credits, they need to go through another audit known as a verification audit. So on top of the initial six, you have another verification audit for two different standards, which is what our projects in Brazil are using. Then again, the registry reviews everything. The certification standard body reviews everything. Once again, our company will undergo these different uh, project portfolio and financial audits. And then at times, our donors want to do their own level of due diligence. And the host jurisdiction in Brazil, from time to time, does their own due diligence. So you're talking about 10, 12, up to 15 different sort of audits, checks, or reviews to ensure that these offsets are, in fact, real and are delivering the co-benefits of biodiversity conservation and community um, livelihoods that, that we're claiming. Wow, it's great. I know. Um you know, here in, I know you're not in New York, you're in um, Massachusetts, but, you know, here in New York, I know the state has set some some targets, so there's a lot of compliance that needs to be met. But, um, you know, ag- again, I, since our, our listeners are mostly the general public here on Long Island and a little bit in Connecticut, actually, um, you know, how can some of our listeners reduce their own carbon footprint? You know, I, I think people don't necessarily realize that their daily actions may actually even have a carbon in, uh, footprint and, you know, that daily decisions that we make can lead to um, carbon emissions. Exactly. You know, we use electricity, our cars, things like that. But are there other ways people can reduce their carbon footprint? Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree. Um, well, I'd say in order to reduce your carbon footprint, it's important to understand the primary sources of greenhouse gas emissions. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, as of 2017, the United States domestic greenhouse gas emissions were primarily from the transportation sector at about 29% of our total domestic greenhouse gas emissions, followed by electricity at about 28%, and third was industry at about 22%. So regarding how you reduce your carbon footprint in the United States, it is most important to focus on your transportation habits and your electricity consumption, which collectively total approximately 60% of all the United States domestic greenhouse gas emissions. And so to reduce your electricity consumption, you can find ways to be more energy efficient and to use electricity. For example, you can more regularly turn off lights around your home or office You can install more energy-efficient light bulbs and appliances or upgrade your house's windows and insulation. For the electricity that you do consume, you can choose to support renewable energy sources. And this might take the form uh, your utility company, for example, might provide the option to support green electricity for a small premium. Or you could purchase, what I mentioned earlier, these uh, renewable energy certificates. And then regarding the transportation sector, which includes all of our cars, trucks, buses, boats, planes, and so on, similar to our electricity consumption, we can find ways to use less transportation that is reliant on fossil fuel combustion. So, for example, we can walk more often, ride a bike, 
take fewer trips, carpool with colleagues, work a telecommuting schedule, decide to fly less and use video conferencing tools, um, and we can also purchase more local products which require less shipping. And then when we do commute, we can offer more efficient routes or use more efficient forms of transportation, such as commuter rails. And then I think it's also important to say that in addition to our domestic electricity consumption and transportation habits, it's also important to understand the sources of global greenhouse gas emissions, which are slightly different than here in the United States. Uh, again, as reported by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and based off the work done by this international body known as the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the global greenhouse gas emissions as of 2010 were primarily from, again, electricity at about 25% of global greenhouse gas emissions, followed very closely behind at number two with 24% of global emissions being the agriculture, forestry, and other land use, followed number three, 21% is industry. And so the acronym is AFLU uh, for agriculture, forestry, and other land use. So with AFLU globally accounting for about 24% of greenhouse gas emissions, it's important for U.S. consumers to support more globally sustainable forms of forestry and agriculture. So, for instance, we can use less paper, support Forest Stewardship Council certified products. We can purchase organic products, which do not use petrol-based additives like fertilizers and pesticides, for example. Yes, exactly. And I also advocate that people eat lower on the food chain because, um, you know, my understanding is that there's a lot of cutting down rainforest to create um, pasture for cattle, which has an impact as well. So absolutely. uh, So that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Why is protecting rainforest so important? I know you mentioned that's quite a bit of, of what you do is you know, as part of managing carbon in the carbon fund. Yeah, it's been fortunately one of our greatest successes so far. Uh, that is our, our signature forest conservation projects in the Brazilian Amazon, where we've got four red projects. Uh, red stands for reducing emissions from deforestation and forest degradation. So they're essentially a forest conservation project that's financed primarily from the sale of forest carbon offset credits. Um, These projects are collectively conserving about 300,000 hectares of lowland tropical rainforest, which is equivalent to 750,000 acres, which is roughly about 25 times the size of San Francisco, or roughly two and a half times, about three times the size of New York City. And these projects are directly helping, I'd say, about 2,000 community members by uh, hiring agronomists to teach more sustainable forms of agriculture, working through titling these local communities to help strengthen their land tenure rights. Uh, We're building health clinics, facilitating visits by doctors, dentists, nurses. And these projects also providing habitat to a tremendous amount of charismatic and rare species like jaguars, mountain lions, toucans, parrots, river dolphins, and so on. Um, and so protecting these forests is very, very important. Um, I, I think given the times, it's, it's important to highlight some of the work done by this organization called EcoHealth Alliance, and particularly through their USAID-funded project called the Infectious Disease Emergence and Economics of Altered Landscapes Project. And as noted on their website, you know, just in terms of 
one of many reasons why these forests are so important, uh, the Alliance says, quote, land use change is a significant driver of emerging infectious disease. Nearly half of the spread of emerging diseases like SARS, Nipah, and Ebola is attributable to land use change. And 75% of emerging diseases affecting humans originated in animals, which quite possibly could be the, the case with the novel coronavirus and COVID-19. And so in addition, these tropical forests provide a tremendous amount of food, fuel, fodder, medicine, not just for local communities, but quite possibly to your listeners and to myself as well. Uh, tropical forests sequester and store carbon dioxide. In contrast, the loss of these forests, as I mentioned earlier, is the second largest source of global greenhouse gas emissions. Tropical forests regulate very important critical cycles like uh, nutrient water cycles. Again, they provide habitat for a tremendous amount of terrestrial biodiversity. And the aesthetics and natural beauty of these forests, which I've been fortunate to visit from Indonesia to the Philippines, throughout Central and South America, particularly Brazil, is simply awe-inspiring. Yeah, I can imagine. You must be very proud. It sounds like there's a lot of successes in, in your work, which is encouraging. I mean, especially like we wrote a blog post here at Green Inside and Out about the, the fires that recently took place in the Amazon. It was really upsetting to see that, <laughs> considering everything you just said. Devastating. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, are there other projects or initiatives that you're working on right now? Yeah, yeah. You had mentioned a couple um, in the introduction. Um, so, I in my free time, which I don't have all that much, but I I do a lot of writing. And so, back in November to December 2017, I got a comprehensive textbook published on the conservation of tropical rainforests which highlighted 26 different case studies across various conservation financing instruments or mechanisms from debt for nature swaps to impact investing to ecotourism to a category known as uh, payments for ecosystem services, under which includes forest carbon offset projects like what we have in the Brazilian Amazon. And I'm now in the final stages of writing a fairly identical book on the conservation of tropical coral reefs that looks at, I would say, 30 different case studies spanning about 20 or 25 different countries. Um, so I got some case studies, for example, around death for nature swaps that were conducted in the Philippines and Jamaica. Uh, I highlight a recent blue bond issuance in the Seychelles, and I spent a lot of time looking at uh, national and state government funding for Australia's Great Barrier Reef. Wow, it's amazing because I know there's been um, many reports about the impacts of climate change on the coral reefs. So it must be very interesting to look at that. Yeah, Sally, it sounds like the Great Barrier Reef is experiencing its third bleaching event in the last five years, um, which is in part due to uh, rising ocean temperatures. Wow. Very, very upsetting to hear that. Yeah. So, wow, very interesting. So I definitely want to make sure that we, we tell our listeners the best way that they can support you and your work. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, again, I just appreciate the opportunity being able to share some of my experiences with your listeners. And I guess first and foremost, if your listeners or 
you for that matter have any questions today or in the future, uh, you know, you're all more than welcome to contact me as I'd like to see myself as a resource for others who are looking to learn more, whether it's about uh, voluntary carbon markets or how carbon projects are developed or other financing instruments for our precious ecosystems, particularly tropical rainforests and coral reefs. Um, and to learn more, your listeners can, I guess, first go to our website, which is www.carbonfund.org. Great. Great. So any, any last thoughts on, on anything that you want to tell our listeners? There's such a wealth of information. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, you're very welcome. Um, not, not in particular. No, I'd say, um, for your listeners, the most important stuff is to ultimately get engaged and try to make a difference. Right. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, this has been totally fantastic. We have been listening to Brian McFarland of carbonfund.org. He's the senior vice president of project origination at Carbon Co. as well. So, and we want to make sure that we give him a shout out for his new book, Upcoming Conservation of Tropical Coral Reefs, a review of financial and strategic solutions. Thank you so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thank you again, Beth. Take care. That brings us to the end of our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, learned a lot, and feel inspired to take actions to protect our earth so we can all protect our health. I want to thank my team, our content producer, Tara Marie Kotliar, content strategist, Rose Chapano, administrative assistant, Logan Straussman, and Jessica Chappelle on social media. You can find the Green Inside and Out podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or other platforms where you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe and give us a review. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please see our website, greeninsideandout.org, where you can also see more about the work we do. We rely on and appreciate your support. So until next time, stay green.